0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. Um, We are officially on episode 32. Pretty crazy. Um, That still means that we have 20 episodes until we hit our 52 mark, which is probably like one year. But I've only missed like one or two weeks, maybe. Um, So I think that we have like we'll do like a one year celebration. I think that's going to be in like late June, early July, whenever we first started. Uh, We'll do a fun one-year celebration, who knows. I put on earrings for you guys today, just wanted to look a little extra special. Um, Also, I was trying to go get a passport photo before this, not that I'm, like, trying to travel anywhere outside of the U.S. soon, but mine is expiring in a few months, and I figure, you know, I just want to have it updated for posterity's sake, and also, again, I just don't want to leave the country, but I'm very type A, so, like, if I can get something done as ahead of time as possible, I am all about it, so... This is a riveting story, but like a few months ago, I tried to go to what my local Walgreens photo center to get it done. Um, they were closed and they said that basically everywhere was closed. So I kind of out of sight, out of mind for a few months. And then I was like, Hey, you know, things in LA are like getting a little bit better. Maybe I'll do some research to see where I can remember the days when I used to have the cup of water and that spilled a few times in the episodes. Really fun times guys. (laughs) Passport photos. Yeah. So I, you know, got myself all gussied up. I mean, it was sort of, you know, I wanted to put on makeup for the podcast too, but I like to kill two birds with one stone. So before this, I had called AAA earlier this week. I had called just like their generic hotline, but I asked for the location near me. Are they doing passport photos? And they were like, yeah, totally. It's walk-in only, but go on in. And so it's only five minutes for me, really not that much of a out of the way, but more of an annoyance because like I got all pretty and I wanted to get my passport photo. And the annoying part of me is like, If I go any day that's not a Saturday when I'm recording these, then I have to, like, put on makeup again. Ugh, my how times have changed. Um, So I didn't get one. Second attempt fail. I think there's some places around Los Angeles. I mean, some are, like, probably, like, 20 or 30 minutes away, which is, like not super far but for something that's not extremely urgent and then also once i get it then i have to like mail the whole thing to the post office whole thing this is riveting right um blah blah blah. anyways i didn't get one if you know anywhere in los angeles um in the like mid-city culver city area that is doing passport photos please let me know (laughs) um what else what else it was my birthday yesterday although at the time that this is released it'll have been a week ago um Just had a fun, low-key day, you know, had my weekly therapy phone call, got my nails and toes done, and let's hope that this time I didn't get COVID from it, even though we're not fully sure that that's the reason and the place I got it last time. Um, And then we had a triple feature. It's really been a while. I mean, I spend hours and hours, like, watching TV on end, but to really sit down for three feature-length films and absorb them and pretty much just toss my phone aside and toss the Kindle aside and really pay attention. And it was like a bang and triple feature. So we started with um Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, which is the new Kristen Wiig. And I forget her partner's name, but they both wrote and produced Bridesmaids. Um, so they're bringing back that same like wacky energy. And it's wacky, let me tell you. It's very much like that stoner comedy where like the first 20-ish minutes, you're kind of like, okay, this is, you know, these two older women going to Florida. It's going to be like an SNL uh, type skit thing and then it just like devolves into pure absurdity like talking crabs and jamie dornan's like an evil henchman and just really like absurd crazy funny moments um it is only available to rent now i think it's 20 dollars, which is like kind of expensive when you think about it but when you also think about the fact that you can see it from home and pause whenever you want and that to go to see it at the movies with anybody else would definitely be at least 20 um definitely check that one out for like crazy weird comedies. Um if you liked Bridesmaids it's definitely similar. I mean I think I still Bridesmaids is just iconic and this also just celebrates female friendships and the power of absurdity. Um so that was a great first one and then we uh we watched The Brandy Cinderella. Um very near and dear to my heart. I believe it came out in 1997 direct to ABC straight to video. It never came out in theaters. Um, and I think, you know, I was three at the time it came out, came out, but I do remember watching it, like, on TV, and then, of course, we had the VHS, and then I kind of had, like, my Disney... Uh, catalog resurgence. Once I got my own laptop, it gave my own DVD player in eighth grade. Um, So I definitely bought that one on DVD. I think I even had the sheet music for it because I also took voice lessons for a while. Um, And Jason had never seen it. Um, He claims that it was his least favorite of the three. And, you know, I kind of have to agree. I mean, it's still so wonderful to see just like this crazy colorblind casting in 1997 and some of the songs or, you know, they're, they're quite simple Rodgers and Hammerstones, la dee I mean, you no, know, like, Hedwig and the Angry Inch Bangers, but, every you know, it's got great, great stars in it, like Bernadette Peters and Whoopi Goldberg, and, of course, Brandy, Jason Alexander. Um, so if you haven't seen it or if you want to revisit it, I mean, like I said, it's not going to knock it out of the park and be anything crazy, um, but it brings you back to that, like, late 90s nostalgia. Um, and for a straight-to-video production. You know, the quality still kind of stands up. Um, That was our second. And then the third one that we did was I Blame Society, which was this tight little indie feature that I had read about on IndieWire. And that was fantastic as well. Um, Very in the spirit of those sort of like meta um, low budget horror comedies, satirical films like Creep or Spree, which just came out. Um, This is about a young woman who's making a project based on the simple fact that her friends once told her that she would make a really good murderer um and i mean maybe people would say that to me because i love true crime but she really kind of takes that idea and runs with it so she's a very you know not the kind of girl you know it's never the kind of girl that you would expect um and she creates a whole project around that and then through as the film progresses her own film progresses and i won't give too much away but it's just layers and layers of meta really well done for such a small budget i mean even though you kind of know where it's going again it's like not about where you're going but it's not about the journey but the destination um i think her name is jillian houghton um she wrote directed starred and you can see that it's clearly like she has quite the presence and control over it so if you're into those sort of horror satirical tight um comedy horror i mean there's there's some gruesome violence but i'd say it definitely airs more on like commentary comedy versus like straight up horror gore darkness and just to comment on women in the film industry particularly in the horror industry um and like you know toying with that concept of the final girl as well which i'm always all about so i think that is everything that we have to take care of for now in terms of housekeeping um so oh also next week although Maybe it'll go out next week, so this might go out after, so forgive all timing, but if this is coming out before or after, I am interviewing Ariella Elevic, who wrote and illustrated the graphic memoir Cheeky, which I discussed on last week, two weeks ago episodes. Um, so I'm super excited. If we've already had that conversation, I'm sure it was awesome, and I'll link it down below, and if we haven't, um, look out for that next week, or maybe I'll release it as a bonus episode, because I've kind of been like on a roll recording these but who knows we'll see um so check that out if it's there or if not read cheeky and check out this interview after so without further ado we have our first book of the week which is outlawed by anna north um so outlawed is a super cool like western hybrid dystopian novel um which is very unique you know we don't really get a lot of Books that harken back to sort of that Western, as the book says, you know, outlawed type of society, particularly when it is this sort of like dystopian, something is wrong. Um, Basically, our main character, Ada, um, grows up in society where women are to be married very young and pretty much their only expectation is to give birth to men. Not any sort of, you know, new revolutionary story. We've talked about plenty of books that, excuse the crazy sirens and everything outside, just another day in LA. Wow. And They got helicopters. Shit is crazy. Um, So basically the the twist in this one, or what makes it unique, is that if a woman can't have a child, she is outcast from her society. She is either, um, she is like, you know, murdered or outlawed. Um, and it's also thought that if you can't have a baby, that you know, not just they didn't understand infertility or miscarriages, and so it's like someone put a spell on you or a curse. Um, so Ada is unable to get married after a year, and so naturally that results in her sort of being outlawed from her family. First, she goes to this nunnery, which is like the typical option for women um, who fall into this category, and then she, uh, through some happenstance circumstances, um, gets herself immersed with the Hole in the Wall Gang, um, and the Hole in the Wall Gang is an entirely female outlaw gang that is. Hell bent on uh, not so much like vengeance and revenge for specific things, but like keeping their own way of life and going against the status quo and understanding that for whatever reason or another, that they are not meant to fit into this like traditional society that um, author Anna North has prepared for us in the book, um, and so. You know, rather than it being sort of like a commune and a peaceful place where they can live, they also understand that they have to, you know, fend for themselves and they have to hunt and fight and they have to constantly be on the lookout because um, just like, you know, traditional Western um, archetypes, you know, they're the the outlaw gang and they're very notorious and wanted and the sheriffs are all about like wanting to capture them. So Ada is a really great character because you get to see her progression from sort of sheltered young woman who doesn't think that anything will ever happen to her. And, you know, the stories of the hole in the wall gang are just stories. um to quickly having to escape and fend for herself. And she doesn't start out as the kind of person who you think would really survive and make it in that type of, you know, dog eat dog world. But how quickly she is able to immerse herself with this group of women and find her own place and discover their own type, make their own family and their own type of society um, is just a really fun, adventurous, a novel celebrating womanhood and celebrating the power of friendship and chosen family and celebrating just like crazy outlawed midwest days i mean this is the kind of story that could really work in any setting but that outlawed wild wild west cowboys versus sheriffs and good versus evil is really just rich and well done in this one so gotta work on like a better transit. sometimes the transitions work if like the stories build off of each other but sometimes i'm just scatterbrained and all over the places in the case of today <laughs> so next up we have the kindest lie by nancy johnson um so this is um speaking of 17 year olds who can't get pregnant this is a young girl named ruth who is 17 and gets pregnant basically accidentally she just has a short relationship with her boyfriend um things happen with teenagers, and it's very quickly decided from her family um, that she will not be responsible for taking care of this child. She does have this child, um, but she is slated to go to Yale, be the first in her family to leave and go to college um, before she even gets pregnant. So her mother, uh, her grandmother, who she lives with, and her brother are very insistent that she does not have this child. So we don't really... That that's kind of parceled out to us in the description, but we kind of start with Ruth living her life as in the present as a young woman, as a young adult. Uh, you know, she's, she's a woman, you know. She's in her mid thirties, and she's she, her husband um, wants to have a child with her, and he does not know about this secret past, and so naturally with wanting to have a new child and start a new family she can't help but think of this child that she had when she was young that she lost um and that sort of sets off a journey where she goes back to her hometown trying to figure out what happened to this child so her perspective is intertwined with the perspective of a young boy named midnight midnight is a white boy ruth is a black woman um and we learn that midnight is actually friends with ruth's son um although ruth kind of doesn't know who her son is at the time and it takes some information and getting to know midnight and sort of she looks at midnight as a this could have been my son and maybe, you know, what, what is a boy at this young age? Like, um, so it kind of, I mean, there's definitely a lot of racial commentary. Um, like I said, like Midnight is a working class white boy. Ruth um, came from a working class poor family, but raised herself up by her bootstraps and is now quite wealthy. So how that all plays into it, um, how we perceive motherhood, how we perceive women and their roles, um, the taboos again, you know, for women who do give up their child children and then, that sense of regret and longing and wanting to try to reconnect with that child um knowing that they have this whole other family and this whole other life is a very complex situation um that is dealt with deftly and it's not the sort of you know thriller mystery like will she find him or not it's sort of about you know will she find him and when she does how will she deal with that and how will the repercussions of that child that she had 13 or 14 or 11 or 12 years ago impact her current relationship and her current family going forward um so those are some heavy things to deal with but um you know it's it's not the lightest novel but it's definitely not as dark as some of the other things that i've talked about and ends with some sort of hope and positivity and next we have Milk, Blood, Heat by Dantiel W. Moniz. This was a really, really visceral uh, collection of short stories that just, like, drew you in. It's very raw. It's very graphic. um, You know, stuff where there's, like, a woman who has a miscarriage and still dreams about having her child. There is... um, two siblings who take a road trip with their father's ashes so there's a lot of like weird dark macabre stuff here um but it's not like you know a Stephen King R.L. Alstein horror story it's like dealing with the weird raw uncanny everyday life and then like spinning those into like sort of dramatic dark stories with like a tinge of the absurdity that elevates it to some sort of lightness um, they all take place in Florida so that you know I think there's quite a few collections of short stories that take place in Florida and it's a place I visited a few times but it's like such a different world there's a lot of parts and aspects about Florida that are different than the places I've grown up in so it's always fun to read those and particularly for people who grew up and are from there the fondness and also the disdain that combines um, and shines through in every author's individual experiences and their own uh, their own experiences with Florida is really fascinating um so it's also just very diverse um in terms of you know we visit all kinds of characters we visit young men and women we visit older men and women we visit multiple races um it is you know sort of just like a in entrancing bewitching like i consumed this all in a night but of course since it's a short story collection you could parcel them out and read just one or two a night and that's a great one for someone who's like looking for something a little bit off the beaten path a little weird um but still very palatable very visceral and something that immediately draws you in and could be consumed in a night or could be like i said parceled out over a variety of days as long as you're reading i don't care how you're doing it just be reading. your psa all right home stretch home stretch two more two more um next we have good neighbors by sarah langan um i think that this the cover's like a little bit deceptive i mean it looks almost just sort of like a traditional domestic big little lies neighborhood mystery type thing and it has that but there's also like this crazy supernatural element that really adds a fun tint fun is fun as you know death and um interpersonal relationships can be um, it's about a family um, the wild family is semi-new to this um, maple street neighborhood also no coincidence that this neighborhood in the street is named maple street um, it's clearly very influenced um, by the monsters on maple street and the twilight zone and also very influenced by like it um, in terms of the relationships with the young kids um i've seen you know i'm seeing it compared to celeste Ng and that sort of like domestic David E. Kelly asks you know, neighborhood drama. Um, so the Wild family is butting heads with their the Schroeder family, which lives next door, and they're not really sure why. I mean, the Wild family came from Brooklyn, and they have two children, and they're a little bit, you know, artistic and out there, and that doesn't really fit in with this Long Island cookie cutter neighborhood. So when they're at uh, a barbecue, this giant singhole opens up in the middle of the neighborhood, and it stays there for the rest of the novel. And it's sort of, you know, the elephant in the room that both plays a big part because um, one of the girls from, uh, I won't say which one, but uh, a young girl does die in the sinkhole. And then the repercussions from that, of course, are terrible. They lead to, you know, the, the mother of the young girl is clearly has her own demons and mental health issues and how she lashes out on the rest of the community. And technically, you know, the sinkhole thing was nobody's fault. It was sort of this powerless ultimate entity that arose and has a sort of supernatural larger instance to it. Um, but because the only real monsters and violence in this story come from the people, this sinkhole just, and the subsequent death that happens, just fuels these bubbling tendencies that were already kind of prevalent within the uh, the neighborhood communities. So very quickly, one of the families accuses the other family of something terrible. Just the way that the neighborhood deals with that, um, we get to know. Multiple perspectives of the people in this novel, particularly Julie, um, who is, oh, I guess this kind of doesn't really get much away. um Julie, who is the one of the young daughters who witnessed the death of the other young girl, and how she deals with that and processes grief, um, is really fascinating as well. Um, the relationship with they're called the Rat Pack, the young girls um, that Ju- they're young kids that Julie is friendly with, um, is very reminiscent of like the Dairy Gang from It. So if you're into any sort of like childhood stranger things younger kids being badasses and like trying to figure out the world coming of age while also seeing excuse me the perspective of the adults and the different dynamics of like just trying to navigate friendships and like navigate staying true to yourself and your family while also understanding that society expects different things of us and how much do we conform to that and how much do we stay true to ourselves maybe the answer is kind of explored here And lastly, but certainly not least, we have The Four Winds by Kristen Hanna. Leave it to Kristen Hanna to, like, always write a banger. I've been reading her book since 8th grade, 7th grade, like, a long time. Um, And she kind of does two things. She does a lot of, like, domestic women's relations, exploring the relationships between women and between Humans and how our relationships last, such as in the iconic book Firefly Lane, which is now a Netflix series that I'm in the middle of watching. It's definitely ridiculous and soapy and like all kinds of like this is us vibes, but um, the women in it are so... You can tell that their friendship and bond is so amazing that it makes you want it, it sucks you in. I'm on episode like six, so it's not the sort of show where I'm like sitting there binging for hours, I'm parceling it out, but it is a nice little like background treat. So check that out. But, um, The Four Winds again, another great one that I devoured, sweeping, um, historical drama. Um, our main character, Elsa Martinelli. She grows up right before the Great Depression in the Great Plains. She has all these dreams and ambitions. Um, She's never quite fit into her family, though, so she's always kind of felt like out of place. Um, She accidentally gets pregnant with um, her sort of first love in a neighborhood tryst, um, being that this is the 1930s. They have the baby. They get married. Um, She quickly develops this very strong relationship to the land and to her partner's family while her partner and then their child, who they have, um, really are the opposite. And they are like, we hate this land. It's so stifling. We can't wait to get out of it. So very quickly, we enter the Great Depression. We enter the drought. Um, and then Kristen Hannah just takes us on a really great journey of what it is like to be one migrant family, how you can start living your life perfectly and everything is great and how the natural elements and things that are beyond our control can suddenly ruin and change our lives. And I mean, I definitely read about the Great Depression and the migrant movement when I was younger, but it's really been a while since I've read anything about it in a literary sense, um, and she really makes this family come alive. She shows the experience of what it was like to get from the Midwest to California, which was sort of the promised land, but very quickly once they got there, they realized that they were not alone. There were quite a bunch of other people and how to make do basically living in poverty and living in these camps, um, but how she's able to make the most of it and make the most of these friendships and relationships and really survive. Um, And since it's the last episode, the last book, and sometimes I get winded and lose my minds, we're going to end it on the the Goodreads little blurb. Um, The Four Winds is an indelible portrait of America and the American dream, as seen through the eyes of one indomitable woman whose courage and sacrifice will come to define a generation. So without further ado, those are your five books and a bunch of ramblings for this week. Um, I hope you will join me for some more episodes or listen to some episodes if you're new that you haven't listened to already. And until next time, stay reading. Bye, guys.